Before we turn to scriptures, I want to address mothers here. I want to address women, young women, future women, future mothers. Maybe some that will never never be biological mothers, but you are spiritually mothering others. Those that are watching online or here in this room this morning. I know for my mother-in-law, Connie, my mother, Joan, the mother of my five children, Molly, there is nothing they want more than that their children or grandchildren would walk in the truth. They would say, keep all of the Mother's Day gifts and wishes, and children and grandchildren Seek the Lord with all your heart. And there's nothing they can do sometimes other than cry out to the Lord. And I pray that you will. I pray that your children, your sons and your daughters, whether they're in the home right now, whether they're walking with God or not right now, that God would draw them, revive them, Bring them to the truth. Unveil any cloudiness that they see from God and that they would see Jesus Christ as fully glorious and a surpassing treasure. So as I pray for you this morning in the pastoral prayer, I pray for your children and your grandchildren. I pray with a groaning that I hope is from the Holy Spirit and would you groan with me. Would you long with me? Would you cry out with me as bow before our Father? Father in heaven, we cry out to you. Father in heaven, I pray that on this Mother's Day, but more importantly, Lord's Day, we look to you, Father, the giver of Jesus Christ, who you gave to us, who died on the cross for our sins and rose him from the dead. He is on the right hand of your side, and he is interceding for us, and it's in his name, I pray, that you would come and you would minister to all mothers and future mothers, all spiritual mothers, all women. I pray that they would have the spiritual heart that you would give them to care for the spiritual needs of those that you put in their lives, including their physical offspring, and their grandchildren. God, I pray for all of the children that just went back, the children that are home right now, the children that are not here today, the children who are already grown up and out of the home, and I pray that you'd be with all the children of mothers here, and all the children's children of mothers. I plead with you, Father, that you would come and you would take out hearts of stone and you would replace it with what Ezekiel called a heart of flesh and you would sprinkle them clean with the Holy Spirit's power and they would know the forgiveness of sins and they would have hearts changed and they would fear the Lord their God and they would walk always in your ways for your glory and for their own good. I pray that you would cause them to 
see the foolishness of this world and the foolishness of sin and the lies of Satan. And they would be able to see and discern those things and they would have wisdom and they would hear wisdom and they would run away from wickedness and destruction. Hear the prayers of mothers, Father. Stir up more prayers in their hearts and help them to not cease to pray. Night and day, like that widow, and you, the unjust judge gave her justice, how much more will you hear those who cry day and night? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Be with the mourning mothers, mourning for their children. God, I pray for mother or children now and grandchildren that are in this room or watching online. I pray that though they wouldn't do it for their mothers, they would do it for your sake because they can't help themselves because they need you and they see it. I pray, God, they would honor their mothers by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and following him with all their heart. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may God bless the preaching of his word. And would you turn to the book of James. It's towards the end of the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles that are in one of the chairs in front of you. Uh, Look around, grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take it and keep it. It would bless us very much if you could use that Bible and write your name in it and use it. And there's there's thinner Bibles and there's thicker ones. And they're around 900, page 950 or 1,000, page 1,020 if it's the thicker Bible. Um, And so we're going to look at James chapter 1. We're in a sermon series. This is the fourth of maybe about 17 or 18 sermons. And we're we're now in verse 9 of James chapter 1. We're going to read that in just a minute. We're just going to look at four verses, three verses, 9 through 11. What if we spent the next hour of this day, this Mother's Day, what if we spent it like one seminary professor would have his students who were preparing for the ministry, he would have them take a blank sheet of paper. What if we passed out blank sheets of paper and you spent this next hour writing what you would want to be read at your own funeral, your eulogy or obituary or what your friends would say about you at your funeral or what your children would say at you or your pastor or some of the closest acquaintances in your life, what would you want them to say about you as they came and honored you and memorialized you at a funeral? They would say, Jim was... What would they say about him? Tracy was a woman who, this young man who died at 19, but let me tell you about those 19 years, especially the last five and what God has done in his life. Let me tell you about this dear old 90-year-old woman, how God has been faithful to her, but especially the last 10 years, as she grew in the Lord. As Stephen Covey writes in his Seven Habits, it's a wise thing for us to think in terms of live with the end in mind. Wisdom, that is, 
has a perspective that looks for the long view and the right view. And James in this letter wants the Christians, he wants us, God wants us to be wise. He has just instructed us in this letter, if anyone lacks wisdom, what do you do? You get on your knees and you say, God, I need wisdom. Please, please give it to me and and do it rightly. Believe him when you ask him and and be devoted to him. Don't, Don't say I want it for my own selfish reasons. And we come to this paragraph that on the surface seems like out of place. What's this paragraph doing here in the midst of all these verses? Is it random? And it might seem a little cryptic at first, but I would say it is rich and relevant for us today. We need the message, the messages of these verses. So we look at James 1, 9 9 through 11 for me, with me. Listen to what James writes to us. Let most in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of all his pursuits. Now, what is this paragraph, this talk about let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation? Now, what's that? That seems kind of like a riddle. What's that going on here? And then this about flower of the grass passing away, the rich man falling away in the midst of his pursuits. What does this have to do with trials and asking for wisdom and God growing us through trials? Is James just throwing out a string of wisdom pearls that we take a pearl and we enjoy it for its own sake, but it's, it's disconnected and there's not really an association with one to the other? Or is he giving us a flow of thought and an argument? I think what Paul is saying is in verses 2 through 4, count it joy when you go through hard trials because in reality, they're God testing you to grow you and strengthen your faith in God. And boy, when you're struggling, you're going to need God's wisdom to decide what to do and to see what God's up to because it's so hard. So ask him for wisdom. And now when we get to verse 9, I wonder if James was writing and he was thinking, given what I know about these Christians, and by his Holy Spirit, I believe God has determined this for us as a church. Given what I know about this church, they need some specific wisdom to think. And here is a specific example of the type of wisdom we need from God. The wisdom that comes from God has an eternal perspective. The wisdom that comes from God views the circumstances of our lives, everything from God's perspective. 
If I could say anything this morning, I believe that James would have us hear this. Live your life viewing everything from an eternal God perspective. Let me say it in a different way. Wisdom teaches us that to have a perspective on the lot given to us in light of eternity is what wisdom really is. I want you to think about the circumstances of your life and your lot. Maybe that's a strange way of thinking of it. What's your lot in life? Life in your day. For some of us, it's a little bit of mixed baggage. For some, it's, it's a good lot. I've had a good life. I'm having a good life. But in this passage, we see two contrasting. The lowly brother and the rich. The lowly brother, those that are of humble means, probably means they're poor economically and socially. They're afflicted. They're oppressed. They're dishonored by the world. They are not the respectable and honored people of their age. And then there are the rich who are respected and honored and appreciated and valued. And in this world, I, want, I guess I want to ask you this. How do you feel about the lot in your life right now? The, the lot of your life, the circumstances that you're experiencing. In the world's estimation, are you insignificant or significant? Maybe it's a little bit mixed. All of us experience at times, some of us might be lonely. And some of you might feel an overwhelming joy of companionship. That's your lot. For some of you, the lot is unexpected bereavement and loss of loved one. And for some of you, is long married life. For some of you, is hope disappointed. Hope filled. For some of you, it's unemployment and discouraging and dreams broken in regards to your job. And for some of you, it's you're living your dream job. For some of you, it's, it's illness after illness and broken body. And for some of you, it's vigorous life. And some of you, it's feeling ungifted, not wondering where your gifts are and, and others brimming with talents that others appreciate and praise. For some of us, it's having money and some of us feeling very poor. For some of it's singleness and some of it's marriage, some of it's mental illness and struggling with that, and some of it's feeling is having mental health. I believe that there are, I know that there are some in this room who are enjoying wealth materially, physically. You, ha you have a lot of money. And there are some of you that don't have much at all. There are some who are enduring great pain right now, physically, emotionally, relationally. Pain that we couldn't, some of us couldn't even imagine. There are some who are fit and healthy and some who have never been healthy. There are some who are honored and respected from the world's standards. We don't use this for, as adults very often because it sounds cheesy, but there are some who are cool and, and there are some who are not cool. <laughs> there are some who are in the in crowd and some who are in the out crowd. Or just weird. There are some who have good marriages and there are some who have really painful ones. What is your lot in life? And James says there's, there's the, the lowly and there's the rich. 
And I believe that what James would want them and all of the church to see the heart behind what he's saying in these three verses and the heart what God would want us to get on this Lord's Day and on this Mother's Day is this. Look at your lot in life from an eternal perspective, from the eyes not of the, the physical, but the spiritual, the invisible, not the, phys- not the visible. And so I want you to see three ways you are to u- view your circumstances this morning in this life, your lot in life, through the light of eternity that can just change everything and cause everything to just turn on its head. If you were, if you were boasting in your being popular and rich, God would humble you in a good way. And if you were content, God would bring you to a joyful contentment in God. Here are three ways. First of all, wisdom's per- this is all about wisdom's perspective from God's perspective. Number one, all things are used by God as a test to prove and to grow faith. Would you look at all of your, whatever you're experiencing this week, this year, and when you look at the course of your life, maybe it's the painful breakups in your life, the painful marriages, the painful family experience and parents, the the painful or all of the, the blessings that have been handed on to you and you feel filled. Look at all of them through this lens. God is testing you with little, or he's testing you with prosperity. You see, that is the entire context of this passage. James says, you're going to go through testings, and it's the testing of your faith. And the testing of your faith is going to do two things. It's going to prove if you really have faith in God, in God alone, and After proving if it's really real, it's going to grow your faith so that you should count it all joy. And so as he comes to the poor or the lowly and he comes to the rich, he says, with these things in mind, understand that what other circumstances you have, rich in your relationships, poor with money, Poor in health, but rich in God. View them from a perspective that God is testing you. Here he gives two groups. Here are two trials, two testings, being poor and being rich. Wisdom discerns that these things are appointed by God and they come with blessings and dangers. They're testing your faith. You're being tested today. You're being tested with your riches and you're being tested in your trials. You're being tested with your prosperity as an American, and you're being tested through the difficulties of the relationships, the finances that might be hard. These are testings from God to test your faith, to prove that it's real, and to grow it so that your complete dependency is on God and God alone. Our lives are meant to be marked by a complete dependency of God and everything and a great humility that bows before God and says, God, I trust you. You are good even when I don't see. Now, do you see, it might be more obvious to see that there is a testing that comes in poverty. Our faith is being tested. When you're poor, poor in physical poor or just not popular, you're not considered valuable to the world's standards, And you might go through affliction after affliction and you question, 
Do you really trust God? Will you find your contentment in him? Will you be rich in God? Will you make God your refuge? And will you allow, will, it use, will that trial bring you to look to him, not the things around you? You see, there's a testing when you're struggling with misery and being in a low position. It can tempt us to think that there is not a good God. I've missed out on God's goodness. Why is he treating me like this? I want you to hear this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And yet the poor can feel very far from that. They can grumble. They can be angry. They can be greedy. They can be discontent and full of envy, revealing all kinds of disbelief of God's goodness. And James would have the poor, the lowly say, you're being tested I could say this for true. All of us are being tested today in our lives. All the circumstances that we're going through our lives. Are, are, what about if you're going through good times right now? You're being tested. The, most of the world and almost all of the history of the world. And as one said, the magnetism of riches is powerful and insistent, and we can constantly, and we constantly need the wisdom of God to see through the facade of, of riches. It is not wrong to be wealthy, as we Americans are in compared to most of the world. But the Bible is always concerned about how did you acquire it? Did you do it honestly? How is it used? Am I using it just to fill myself up and feed my own self and my own passions and pleasures? And how does my money, my prosperity, how does it hold on to my heart? Is it, Paul will tell Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Many have wandered away from the faith because of it. Oh, there's dangers to being rich. And Paul says, watch out, you're being tested. Because if you are prosperous, and say maybe you're this morning feeling like all is well. My, my children are healthy. I have enough money in my savings. Our needs are met. We can go out to eat. We can enjoy all these things. We're together. I think we're happy. Be, care be careful of the dangers of being rich. We're prone to pride prone to selfishness. James will say in James 5, you can look there, James 5, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries of, that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed their, your field. Verse 5, you have lived in the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I pray that this passage would remind us we're being tested with our riches and our poverty. If you are, if you are wealthy as an American, and that don't go by the world standards, but go by, has God met, me, met your needs? And he has, and he probably has met more than your needs. We enjoy a lot of luxuries. Paul would tell Timothy, as for the rich in this present life, tell them not to be proud, but instead set their hope, not on their wealth, because it just might be gone like that, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God 
who richly provides us with all that we have to enjoy. Let him be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures in heaven. Oh, this passage would want us to hear the test. Oh, you're being tested, rich. You're being tested, poor. Are you being good steward of your poverty? Are you being, are you letting it turn yourself and be dependent on God? If you're rich, are you realizing, oh, I have a responsibility. All that I have is to be given to God, and I want to use it and use it up for him. You see, wisdom sees our lot as used by God to test our faith and to grow it. But I want you to see here the heart of this passage really is probably in the second perspective. So the second wisdom's perspective, number two, all things are given to us by God as an opportunity to boast, but to boast in Christ. All things. So this morning, I don't know where you put yourself, and maybe you put yourself kind of teeter-tottering. Sometimes you're in a prosperity state, and sometimes you're in a, a poor state. Sometimes you're in the lowly, you're the lowly Christian. Like, you're not cool. You don't feel talented. You don't have all these things that you see others have. And there's others that you say, I kind of do. I, I am blessed. I'm rich. I have a lot want, to be honest. I never really withhold anything that I need to, or want. I enjoy it. And, and look at all these things that are in my life. He would say, well, people in this life have a tendency to boast and boast wrongly. The rich boast. The rich boast in... I'm taken care of. I have it put together. I can provide for myself. They might, it's not popular today to boast that way. It's usually this kind of fake humility. But in their heart, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And James would have wisdom, have us hear a heart of wisdom from God's perspective that says, I want you to boast in a different kind of way. And what he says here is, let the lowly brother boast. That word is to glory, to rejoice, and to like be proud of, not himself, but rejoice in his glory, in his exaltation, it says. And the rich brother is to boast in his humiliation. Now, what does James mean here? I think he's saying, when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, he's saying, let the poor or lowly in the, of their lives through their perspective that help them to live through a perspective that says my identity is in Christ and because I am saved because God has called me I am exalted in Jesus and I will someday enjoy eternal life and glory as the son or daughter of the king and he's saying that that is an eternal perspective you who are poor Remember that you're rich in God. And that's exactly what he's going to say in chapter 2. James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. He means brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? I'll tell you what. Being rich in faith is 10,000 times more, infinite times more important than having any wealth in this world. If you had to live on WIC 
or on poverty and on food stamps, paycheck to paycheck for the rest of your life, never knowing how you're going to actually take care of retirement. But you grew in a humble dependence on Jesus. You have reason to rejoice today. And it, though it doesn't seem like that, and at times you'll say it doesn't feel like that, the wealth of faith in God is infinitely more valuable than the false security of money of this world. And he's saying, now you poor, you who are aliens and being thrown out of your homes and being persecuted for Christ, remember, would you just boast that you're exalted in Jesus? There's a lot of passages I could point you to that, that echo this truth, like in Luke 6 when he says, blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Or in Luke 16, there's the beautiful story that Jesus gives of the poor man Lazarus and the rich man who had always just kind of boasted in his riches and Lazarus was a beggar all his life and the dogs would, eat the, would lick the sores of this man. He was so impoverished, he didn't even have medical provisions to take care of his wounds. And it says both of them died and it says the rich man died and was buried and so was the poor man. And, the, and we find that the story says, but Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, he said to the rich man, you received good things in this life. And Lazarus, the poor man, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in anguish. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, consider your calling, brother. Powerful and prosperous God has chosen the non-noble things. He has chosen the weak things in this world. If God has saved you, he said, you are a broken sinner and I'm going to choose you and I'm going to grow you and I'm going to make you my child. And I did that by helping you trust in my son Jesus and he saved you and he's now changing you. So let, he ends this, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what the poor, the lowly person James would have the wisdom say is boast in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the source of all your exaltation. You have heaven coming to you and it will be glorious beyond imagination but also know that you are rich in faith if you're in Christ Jesus. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. He says this to the poor, keep these realities in your heart and your mind. If you're here this morning and feeling beat down and broken, you feel like you are the brother or sister of lowly position, oh, lean in to the precious Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings in all who are weak and despised. And he, like a shepherd, brings those broken lambs. Look to him. Oh, what a precious place to be. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and your exaltation in him. But he says to the rich, let the rich boast. It doesn't say that in our version, but it's implied. Let the rich brother or rich Christian boast in his humiliation. Now, what he means by that is, I believe, he's saying, if you are rich in this world, if you're not considered the lowly and people look up to you and you have possessions and there's a lot of good things going on in your life, boast in the fact 
that what marks you is identification with Jesus Christ and humiliation, being bowed before him is your calling. You are called to serve above all things. Paul would write this. Paul, who could boast in his religiousness, could say, I count everything as loss. I put no confidence in my own flesh And he could say, in my own upbringing, in my own wealth, or anything like this, but I exalt on Jesus. I count everything as loss. And he would say, rich persons, count everything that you have, your money, your popularity, your fame, your influence, consider it as nothing. Don't put any confidence in that. Instead, put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a surpassing worth. And things humbled himself as a servant and came down and lived a life to redeem you. And so you are to follow him and love others in that way. How do the, how do the rich boast in their humiliation? They look at life and their riches and their prosperities through a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective, and they say, God has made me a steward of wealth and it's not my own. My riches are God's, and I am to give them up readily. Boast rich people, rich Americans. Boast not in that you have received from God a gift, but glory in the fact that you are in Christ, and you're called to lowliness and humility. Don't pad your life, but put your riches to use for the glory of Jesus. James would want us to, Jesus would want us to hear. Don't view yourself as a rich benefactor to others. Oh, I'm so glad I could help the missionaries. Look how good I am. No, I'm a steward of the wealth of God, and it is His. And what a privilege. What a humble privilege. I should not think myself highly at all, but I think highly of Jesus who has so graciously given me this test of faith and an ability to serve others. Oh God, help me never have this just from me. It's from you. Let, what does it mean to boast in our humiliation? Don't despise the poor, but wash the poor's feet. Don't hoard your money, but give it generously. Do you live and act with the remembrance that all that you have and all that you are is given to you from God and ultimately you don't deserve any of it and that you're called to steward it And God could take it away in an instant. If you are persecuted and he takes you from wealth to poverty, that's happened throughout the history of the church, you lift up your hands and say, that wasn't my, I didn't have my heart in the beginning, but Jesus has my heart. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To the rich, Put no hope in the uncertainty of your riches, but on God who richly supplies all things and is generous. Oh, you wealthy Christians, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I am so blessed. Don't view yourself as special, but view the poor as blessings from God that you are to come alongside and serve and do not look down at them, but God has given them richness and faith that you are to learn from and you are to show them love and generosity, not condescension. Run away from pride because you see, Jesus said the greatest among you will be the servants of all, whether you have a lot of money or none. 
Whoever exalts himself will be, ex- will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted, Jesus said in Matthew 23. So as Paul summed it up, may I never glory except in, may I never boast except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see this? Whatever lot you have in life, James would want wisdom says, if I'm, if I'm enjoying good things or if I am experiencing the want of things and I'm struggling, they're all reason to boast in Jesus. If I, if I don't have many things, it's a reminder that the best is yet to come and that this world is not what I'm to live for anyways. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that treasures in heaven await. Help me to look to you. And if I have a lot, I got to be really careful because I could just get real content with that and think I don't need God, which is a big lie. And I need to be take that wealth and I need to not pad myself, but pour it out to others for the glory of Jesus. I think that James would want us to hear when he says, let them boast. He'd want us to hear ringing in our hearts, Jeremiah 9, the great boast passage. Because all Israelites, James would have known this passage when God tells through the prophet Isaiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness on the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. And the point of boasting isn't, I just have a lot of Bible knowledge. That boasting is, my glory is in Jesus Christ. He is merciful. How am I doing? I am doing better than I deserve because he is so good to me. Let it be our prayer, friends. Dear Lord, the circumstances of my life, whether it be riches or poverty, family or loss, honor and dishonor, persecution and approval, health or sickness, are all reasons for me to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his son or daughter, and he has lavished me with forgiving and ever-giving grace, he will bring me safely to the end and he'll give me eternal joy. Fix my eyes on that, God. Although I am blessed from a world's perspective, the rich might say, may we pray, I will never, my name is written in the book of life. I will consider myself a servant of all. You see, the wisdom of God sees with eternal spiritual, biblical perspective, all of life, all your lot, all your circumstances. Are you doing that? I think we all need help in that. That's, that's a never-ending journey of adjustment. Oh, God, I found myself relying on my, my resources and not on you. Forgive me. Oh, God, I started to moan about my discouragements and my difficulties. Oh, God, I forgot that you're going to take care of me. Help me to trust you. Grow my faith. Help me to see things through a biblical perspective. Help me to boast in Jesus, in good or bad. The last thing I want you to see about wisdom's perspective that James wants us to see is all things, number three, all things, can be reminders of the vanity of life and the glory of eternity. All things can remind us of the vanity of life and the glory of eternity. He, he finishes at the end of verse 10 and then goes into verse 11 and he says, because 
like the flower of the field, he'll pass away. I went running this morning in the fields on Reed Road, down the farm fields, and there was already dandelions dying, already dying, and it's early May. Flower of the field is dying already. He says, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. He's saying, don't boast in your riches. Your, your life is really short and it's vain if you just think of it about yourself and prosperity. And you, in the midst of your pursuits, in the midst of your journeys of making money and thinking and building up your kingdom and your securities, it can be taken today as you drive home. It can be reminded of us in a doctor's appointment in the next week's. Don't boast in those things. And I think that what wisdom says to us in this passage is to say, let it be a reminder, and that is a gift from God, that life is vain, it is short, but eternity is glorious in God. And this passage says to us, remember death. Remember death. That's where I started. Remember death. You remember that someday there'll be a funeral for you, and what would they say? What is your life, James says in verse 14 of chapter 4? You're a, you're a mist. How long does mist last? You're a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. Few, and they're vain, and they're mist. James is ringing with the truth of Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. All flesh is like grass. It's beauty, the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Friends, I, my job as a preacher is to week after week say, don't believe the lie that you're going to live forever and the decisions you make have no consequences. My job as a preacher is to say, you're, gonna, you're a flower of the field, and it's, you're going to wither. You're grass. You're a mist. And remember death. Remember eternity. Remember what it's about. Remember eternal things. Don't get lured into sleepy, the slumber that Satan, the world in your flesh would want you to think that life is going to just go on forever and you're going to not pay an account for how you live and who you turn to and who you humble yourself to and what you're depending on. And James would, James loves us enough to remind us your life is short. Our world wants us to not think about death. We want to keep our children cocooned from thinking about, talking about death. That's morbid, we would say, but no, it's real. And there is a wisdom in remembering only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, as the saying goes. The wise, the truly wise view their poverty and their wealth as an opportunity to remember. It's going to be gone like that. I won't be poor anymore. I won't be rich anymore. I'll be before God. I'll be before my judge. Oh, that we would have that perspective. Young people, 
remember your creator in the days of your youth. Ecclesiastes would have you know. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't think that you'll remember him later if you ignore him now. Don't think that you're going to just put it off till later. Oh, draw near to him. He's all that matters. Waste your life and you'll regret it. Pour out your life for Christ, the lover of your soul, that's Jesus. Wisdom's perspective says this, all this poverty, all this shame that I experience, all this pain, all the sorrow will be turned to joy. Death will take us away soon enough and eternal joy will be my inheritance. My painful marriage, all that I've committed to you in the midst of that pain will be turned for my eternal joy. The pains and sufferings and health and criticisms will be an opportunity to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, I will boast in the Lord Jesus Christ because I am rich in him. The rich must say all things that this world holds dear will be, do me no good. Riches are uncertain, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I will be gone in a moment. I must lay my treasures up where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal because it'll be gone and I cannot preserve it. Oh, the wisdom of an eternal perspective, of spiritual insight, the eyes of faith. Oh, young people, you can be wise now as you live for eternity now. There are far too many old people that are fools because they live for the here and now. Let's not buy into the world's folly of ignoring the subject of death. Moses would have us in Psalm 90 say to us, teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. And I, like, I love what Matthew McCullough says in his book, Remember of Death. When the reality of death is far from our minds, the promises of Jesus often seem detached from our lives. These promises seem so abstract, belonging to another world. And the one I'm living right now, disconnected from the problem, is dominating my field of view. Before you long for a life that is imperishable and undying, you must accept, friends, that you're perishing along with everyone you care about. You must recognize that anything you might accomplish or acquire in this world is fading away. And you need to recognize that you're going to lose everyone you love in this world before you will hope in an inheritance kept in heaven for you that James, or 1 Peter 3, 1 talks about. Even if your life plays out in precisely the way you imagine for yourself in your wildest dreams, death will steal everything away and destroy everything you accomplish. As long as we're consumed by a quest for more out of this life, Jesus' promises will seem otherworldly. He doesn't offer more what death will only steal from us in the end. He offers us today righteousness, adoption, God-honoring purpose, eternal life that starts today, things that taste sweet to us only when death is regular command. Companions to our thoughts. So let me say this. Death makes a statement about who we are. 
It's, it's a sobering statement. We're not too important to die. We will die, and like all those who've gone before us, as James reminds us, all fresh flesh is like grass. The world will keep on moving just the way it always has. No one is indispensable. It's a harsh and even terrifying statement when we've allowed the statement to land on us and sink in. We're prepared for the awe of the message of the gospel. It's another statement of our identity that the gospel gives to us. If death tells us we're not too important to die, the gospel says we're so important that Christ died for us. Amazingly. And not because death's message about us is wrong. It is. We're, indis- we're, we're dispensable. But join with him. He values us. That's just amazing. It's grace. And oh, I want you, if you're here this morning, I, want you to, I wonder if you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Or you're not sure, you might be judged and go to hell. I want you to know that there is a good and glorious God who came and gave his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and he was on a mission from the Father in order to save sinners like you and me and everyone who realizes that they are separated from God and they could never get back to God and they needed somebody to bring them back and do what they could never do and Jesus did that by going to a cross and died on the cross to take away and pay for our sins and he brings us into this unbelievable union with God through Christ if we would but give up on ourselves and surrender to Jesus and accept his free gift and follow him. Oh, that do you know that? Oh, if you've grown up in church all your life and you think you are, but you don't know, would you know that today by believing him, taking his word for it, and following him? Wisdom views life. All of the lots that we have. What's your lot in life? Is it lowly? Is it rich? Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. What would you want Pastor Daniel, myself, to say at your funeral? About you, about your values, about your boasting, about your faith. I love what John Newton, an old pastor in the 1700s, wrote in a letter about a lady that had just died. He said this, were I to preach her funeral, I would say little about her but I would make people stare, if I could, by telling them of, his, of her wonderful friend, Jesus, the one she had, the one who paid all her debts, who was so attentive to her that his eyes were never off her by night or day for a long number of years, one who, by looking at her, could sweeten her pains, renew her strength, and fill her with wisdom and grace and peace. It was to his praise and, to her, and not to hers that she filled up every character and relation of her life with propriety and endured pain with cheerfulness and gave an edifying and memorable example to all those around her. Well... She's gone, and I'm a loser, but I do not wish her back again. She's gone to see her best friend, and I hope one day to see her with with him. If she could speak to us now, she would say what? What would she say? 
Christ Jesus is the surpassing value. Know him. Give your life to know him. To glory in him. Care more about a grain of faith than a truckload of pleasure and prosperity that this world could offer. It fades, she would say. But his glory, his face grows dearer and more glorious as you look to him. Endure the tests that you're experiencing and count them joy. Remain steadfast under trials. Do not look as man looks. God looks on the heart. Worry about the approval not of man because that is just short-sighted. Care more about your soul than your figure. Inward beauty over outward beauty. Give more than you can afford. Always give generously. Look to the one who richly supplies everything. Let the lowly boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers The grass, it's also with a rich man, fade away in his pursuits. But we can say this, but the word of God and all who are in his word, in his son, abides forever. Father in heaven, we bow now to you. And I pray that on this day, Mothers and fathers and grandfathers and mothers and church members and singles and teens and kids and sons and daughters. We would all stand before your gaze and we would ask ourselves, Father, how are we doing? Oh God. I pray that we would all be found in Christ Jesus and we would not look to ourselves, but plead your mercy. Thank you for your help. Oh God, revive our hearts. Give us life. Give us help. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now before we... Really, as we crown the service, finish the service.